Welcome to the Mastering Portrait Photography Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I am glad to say this week that it's an interview that I pre-recorded. Why am I glad? Well, I was out last night at a ball, Molly Ollie's Wishes, fantastic charity. And I was there with some good friends from the photography industry. Uh, so to say the least, I'm just a little bit hoarse. I think you can hear it in my voice. It's a bit croaky. Uh, we had to have an early start this morning, come back, and I've done uh, a couple of portrait shoots and a wedding pitch at the studio prior to recording this, or at least recording to the, for recording these voiceovers. Uh, and you can hear it in my voice now. I am utterly exhausted. It must be time for me to put my feet up and have a Sunday evening in front of the telly. However, before I do that, uh, I wanted to put this podcast out. Uh, this interview is a great interview. It's with a great photographer, someone who I've interviewed before at the photography show years ago on stage. Uh, Richard Bradbury is a wonderful, wonderful photographer, 25 years uh, of experience working in the industry, uh, primarily as a top advertising and editorial photographer. Uh, he's been awarded so many awards, Creative Commercial Photographer of the Year, uh, Creative and Advertising Photographer of the Year uh, by the BIPP, the MPA, the AOP, and the SWPP. I mean, so many awards. He's a lovely guy and an incredible creative. Um, his work has adorned others of magazines, newspapers, and of course, he is one of the image makers for the Guinness Book Records, something that I've always found fascinating to talk to him about. So I headed over uh, a month or two ago uh, to West London to talk to Richard in his studio in Leafy Chiswick. So Richard Bradbury, it is a place where I'm sitting here in what I believe to be, well, it looks like a beautiful living room, but I'm guessing this is your commercial space. Oh, uh, Yes. Oh yes, this is where I this is where I bring them and I work my magic. <laughs> <laughs> Wallet softening. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's exactly it. Yeah, well put. Yeah, yeah. But actually, seriously, though, I think it's really important. Yeah, uh, you know, as you say, wallet softening is a yeah. good way to put it. Um, my other favourite one is if they cry, they buy. Uh, which <laughs> I've is never uh, heard that. <laughs> I've never heard. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I put a lot of time and effort into this because yeah. I think it's really important. One of the things that I find when I go to other people's studios to talk to them about their businesses, is that it always amazes me how little emphasis people give to their yep. viewing rooms. Yeah. And I just can't quite believe it. I yeah. just think, yeah, that's, that's the big, you're making your money. It's true, isn't it? And, and, uh, and the, one, so, the one thing people forget is if you've got a client, why have they come there? Oh, man, totally, yeah. They've come we, there to spend. Well, we were saying, weren't we, before you hit the red button, that, that actually <laughs> that there's a a lot of what we do, which is about the entertainment. It's yeah. about, you know, it's about what do they do it. Yeah. And the way I always think of it is that, uh, you know, what's the thing at, at, at dinner parties when people ask you, as we all do, oh, so what do you do for a living there? And the guy next to you is an insurance salesman, and the guy down the road from him is a, um, is a, a, a gutter specialist. And then you say you're a photographer, who gets all the attention? Yeah. It's because it, you know, it is sexy, you know, it's like, and that's not a matter of, of us feeling like we're 
more important than anybody else. It just is a fact. Yeah. And so I just think, yeah, you should embrace that. And, and <laughs> I love that. I love the idea. It's I'm a not fact. I'm sexy, it's a fact that photographers are more sexy. <laughs> it's that's, a fact. Thank you. That's, that's done me no end of good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm not talking about myself. Maybe. Uh, but yeah. No. I, 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 but I think it, you know, it's one of those professions that you know. Okay, we're not quite astronaut. No. <laughs> you know. Yeah, we're not quite professional football player. Yeah. But we are photographer, and photographers up there. And I think that, being serious about it for a second, I think people forget the fact that, that members of the public buy into that, and they want that experience. They want you to, to be the photographer. Yes. And I think it's important to do it. As well as it actually coming across, there's not, you know, it's important to show a level of professionalism when you're, when you're yeah. with your clients. So they understand that you know what you're doing. Yeah. So you're in charge, you're you know, sorting out exactly what happens and as it happens. And in that respect, then it's part of your, it's part of your pitch, if yeah. you like. It's part of your, of your brand, I think. How long does it take you to get your head around that? Oh, God. It's like, I, I would say most of my career. And, and it's still, <laughs> still learning. Yeah, it's still, I mean, yeah. really is, genuinely. And I'm not just saying that, you know, I think sometimes when, when people ask those kind of questions, you kind of give the answer that you know they want to hear, if you know what I mean. Uh, but actually, I mean it, really do mean it. And you know, I, I, I still go to seminars, I still read up, I still mm. learn. I was talking to you earlier, I bought some, some new lights recently, new Godox lights. What's the first thing I do? I go on YouTube and I start looking at everybody else that's got Godox lights and how yeah. to use them. I know how to use them, I'm not an idiot. But I think it's, you know, that, that continuous learning thing is so important. I, I know you're the same, aren't you? Yeah. I know we've had this discussion before. But, uh, but yeah, the way you treat clients is something that is, for me, is a, a magical thing that happens all the time. Well, it's that wonderful balance between authenticity and a performance. I, I have a, it's funny to say that, actually, because I have a, a very uh, well-founded principle that I think here, which I, actually I talk about in my, in my book, <laughs> plugging my book. So I mean, I've got to get to your book, don't <laughs> worry, it's on my list. But in, in my business book, I talk about a lot, which is uh, all about authenticity. Yeah. Um, uh, because authenticity is something that people if you ask people what authenticity means they, th- they think it means spontaneity and yep. so on it doesn't authenticity is about the reality of something coming from the heart and something, uh, and something, that, something that's meaningful yep. and it's interesting to, to note and this always chokes me up whenever I say this because I feel so strongly about it that if Winston Churchill had um, had come out and said, uh, um, "Do you know what? I think we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably take on the Germans and we'll do a damn good job of it, and we'll, and we'll do very, very yeah. well." Well, he didn't. He did, you know, his fight them on the beaches speech. Yeah. Do you really think that he just got up that day and walked towards the microphone and just came out with that? Yeah. He, he learned it, he practiced it, and he taught himself to be authentic. And that's how you need to be in, in, yeah. with, with your clients. You need to practice it. You need to teach yourself. It doesn't mean that it's not sincere. It doesn't mean that it's not the natural way to react. You need to understand that you will not get up in the morning and suddenly be authentic about everything. You know, we all know in conversations where you had that situation where you know a subject, <laughs> but you kind of talk yourself into a corner and you get nowhere with it. Yeah. Being authentic is something that you can learn to do and you need to practice it. Yeah. And you need, you need to do it every day. Now, actually, what I was hoping you'd say is there's a trick to it and you learned it really on. Because <laughs> an awful, a huge proportion of the people that listen to this particular podcast are setting out on that journey. Mm. As well as, uh, you know, I know lots of people in the industry are far more established and they listen to this too. But I was hoping there's like a nugget. 
well, this day I woke up and I thought, this is how I'm going to do it. But it isn't, is it? It's a life skill. It isn't. And actually, I would say that, speaking on a personal level, I think I've kind of been, actually, I've been there and back again. I, I think I used to oversell it. I used right. to overpush it. I used to overdo the, the whole salesmanship thing. Um, and the more I've learned about it, the more I understand that, that actually... Being a good salesperson is genuinely about being a good, honest person. And I think I can feel the people laughing in the room sometimes when I say that. But it's true. And it's really, it's really true that, that you need to have authenticity that comes through your honesty. And I, I will frequently tell people, no, don't buy this image. Yeah. And, and I mean it. And I'm not, I'm not just trying to, to work a number on them. I, I mean it. I, uh, because I think it's really important that you get... Yeah. The truth from you to them, and yeah. what will ha- I have found that that what happens with me at least is, is that by doing that, you you, end, you sell more, you, yeah. you, you oh, yeah. make more friends, you, yeah. you you have a better business, yeah. and you feel better about yourself. Yeah. And when weirdly enough as well, when you get those clients, and we all do, that complain about they haven't they're not happy with their print, or yeah. or it's two weeks later, yeah. or it's more expensive than than you thought than they thought it was. What you find is that you can deal with those people so much better because you know that your ground is solid. Yeah. You know where you're yeah. coming from and you know that you're right. Yeah. Um, uh, and I believe personally, I mean, like, we get excited when people complain. We get excited because we always turn them into more sales. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's because people show you, if people are giving that much attention to what they're doing, then they, they, they feel passionately yeah, about it. That's true. I've, I've always had a, a mantra that it's very easy to run a successful business it's yeah. not it's not problematic yeah where you see the makings where you see the skill in really good business owners yeah is how they deal with the crap absolutely the bits that go wrong the things they weren't expecting the stuff absolutely. that comes in left field those are the markers of a great business those I, are the I couldn't of agree business more leader. I mean absolutely and I've got a hundred different examples of that I mean it really are and we, when I said before that I get excited when people complain, I really mean it. I'm not kidding. Mm. I mean, it's like, you know, we always go, brilliant, this is a great opportunity to do something here. Yeah. Um, and because I think we've, we've got so used to doing that, and my assistant's the same here, every assistant I've ever had, I've always brought to that same yeah. concept that, that, that if someone cares enough to complain, yeah. then they're my kind of person yeah. and so they need to be on board with us and so we need to bring them back yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a great thing that you know, yeah. almost people, people almost don't expect it either that's what I think is interesting yeah. is that I think we live in a in a society where, where particularly the English we're so bad at complaining <laughs> you know, we, yeah. we, we hate yeah, causing yeah, a right. one but the the, the the excitement that people get when yeah. you go you know well you're absolutely right yeah uh, don't worry, stay there, sit there, I'll send the cab over straight away to pick it up. Yeah. I love blowing people away with, you know, with the, the level of service. Not just giving them a good service, giving them the kind of service that they just can't, they, they just can't even understand how good it is. Yeah. And it's so easy to do that. And I don't understand why more, why more people don't. Yeah, it's, it's, diffi- it's difficult though, isn't it? Because you see <coughs> complaints as a, as a, a f- I suppose a failure. I mean, it, yeah. you know, I, I, I can't say that I get excited about a complaint. I like to think everything goes out mm. and there shouldn't be anything to complain about. Um, but I, I know exactly what you're saying. And when I used to work as a consultant in the city, um, if there was someone, when, I, when we were pitching or we were working, there was someone in the boardroom mm. who was at me, yeah. negative, fighting me. Everything we're trying to do, they're fighting. Then my job was to turn them 
Yeah. Because if you can get them on board, imagine all of that energy on your side. Yes. Genius. And it's the same thing, isn't it? It is exactly the same thing. That's precisely it. I couldn't have put it better. That's that's a really good example. You're you're absolutely right. And that... You know, I'm not pretending that I, go, I want every, every client to no, complain. Of course I don't. Yeah. But um, uh, there's two fa- other factors about it as well, which is that you don't actually know. I mean, you said to me, oh, there's parts of my, my website that aren't working at the moment. Unless somebody tells me that, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't look at my own website. You know, I'm not quite so full of myself as to check out my own <laughs> website every day. So, yeah. so you don't know. Unless somebody yeah. tells you you've got a problem, you can't yeah. fix it. And I, that's how I feel about it. And I also, by the way, feel quite strongly about the opposite as well, is that if you spend all your time changing everything in your business because of the one person that was peed off about it, yeah, you can't. Then, then basically you're forgetting the fact that of the, the 150 right. others that yeah. had a fantastic time. So you have to be professional it's a, about it's it. It's very tough. Uh, we have a rule in the, in the studio now that if something's not quite right, or we, you know, the, I think for us as a business, um, when a client doesn't spend what you had hoped. Yeah. This is always the biggest yeah, disappointment big as a business. It's not necessarily as yeah. a, when you're when you're just setting out you're, and you're still not earning money from it. When you when you're earning money from it, and there's a huge disappointment in that. It could be a myriad of reasons, most of which are well outside of your control, yeah. and almost certainly outside of your visibility. You can't see it. Yeah. So we now have some pretty hard rules in the studio. That if something goes wrong, firstly you're right, fix it. But if a shoot doesn't go the way you want don't talk about it for longer than you have to. Yeah, good man. Yeah. And, unless there's something we can change. Yeah. You know, if it's something we've done, then let's talk about that, let's fix it. But if something is out of our control, spending 80% of our time <laughs> dwelling on the negatives yeah. affects the positives, and yeah. they're the people that actually run, they, they're the people that bring our numbers in. So, yeah, yeah you're right. It's, it's but I, you know what? There's a, there's a couple of other things there which I think are really important when it comes to people that don't spend money or don't spend as much money as you want them to. Um, which is that uh, um, two things really. Num- number one, I have a personal rule that I will treat that person exactly the same mm. as the person that spends ten thousand yeah, pounds in, in exactly. the viewing room. Exactly the same, yeah. and probably better because I, I, I'm probably I probably end up overcompensating. overcompensating yeah. But part of me just really feels strongly about the fact that that it is not my right to get the hunt with them because they decide not yeah. to spend yeah. a thousand pounds with yeah. me. You know, it's not, that's not correct, it's not good, it's not right. And I want them to leave here having a great time. Yeah. And I am forever, uh, I, I guess, kind of blaming myself for those, you know, yeah. for those occasions. And the reason that, so, so first of all, I, I, I will ensure that I treat them just as, as well, if not better, and I do mean that, it's often better, um, and I think there's a level of karma to that. I'm not a spiritual person, I'm really not. Yep. But I do genuinely think that, that, that it helps you as a business person to understand what the business is about. Yep. It's about numbers, it's yep. about uh, uh, an overall average for the year, and that average will be made up by the people that spend megabucks and the people that spend nothing. Yep. Uh, and it's important to embrace that. The other part of it is, though, is that when it happens, nine times out of ten, this is where I would slightly take issue with what you said before, is that I do believe that you probably could have avoided it. And I think that um, what I mean by that is that preparation for, for your clients is so important. And I've learned that a lot over the years. As, I, as you know, I, I came from a solely advertising editorial background, yeah. which is all B2B stuff. 
and at a very high level because I was working with you know, some of the biggest ad agencies in the world shooting all over the world. So it, it, high level stuff. Very different to sitting down with, with Mrs. James, whose mm. who's children I've just photographed. And it was a completely different thing entirely. And what I, weirdly enough, that the first two years of me, first year, year and a half of me doing the, the children's portrait thing, which is now more than 50% of my business, I would often, no, I'm exaggerating, I would sometimes have people that would go, how much? Yeah. Now, it took me a while to understand that, because my prices are high, they're expensive. They're not stupid, but they're expensive. My prints are expensive. Why? Because I'm bloody good. And I know I am, and I know the prints are worth it. Yeah. Um, uh, I also have three children, they need looking after <laughs> <laughs> um, But uh, So what I mean by that is that, so they would come to my studio, and what, why were they saying that? Well, it's very simple, because I hadn't got the balls in the first place to kind of tell them that. And I kind of knew that you, you, there's, a, there's a lot of people out there um, who in the, in the portrait environment whose only reference point is school portraits. Mm. And God bless the school portrait photographers, they do a great job. But they sell their, their portraits because they sell them en masse on auto sites for very little money. And that, if that's what your only reference point is, then why would you then expect all of a sudden to spend hundreds, if not thousands of pounds on portraits shot by somebody else? And so I, I had people come to me and I was like, shocked. And it caused all sorts of issues, really awful, awkward scenes in the viewing room where you just think, <laughs> oh God, I don't want to be in yeah. there. And they don't want to be. Yeah. And I worked it out. The reason why is because they weren't prepared. I now prepare every single client I have um, in, we insist on doing it in three ways. Yeah. I tell them yeah. the price list when I'm at the end of the shoot, yeah. verbally. Yeah. So I go, I, I don't, not the whole lot, but I, I say to them, I said, I had a shoot this morning, I said to the lady, a reason I want you and your husband to, to come along, it's really important that both of you come along. Yeah. Why? Because my prints are really expensive. Uh, and I guess the, 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 the basis of them, the basic price that I tell her in pound note terms exactly how much they are. Yeah. I then give her a card with all the prices on it. Yeah. So she was like, and then when we send the email to confirm her viewing, which I do when I'm on the shoot, uh, the day after we send an email to confirm the viewing, on that email it has the prices written on it. Now, in that way, they've been told three times. When they turn up at my studio, they know how much they're going to spend. And the, the odd thing is, is that there's a certain Englishness about us again that we don't like talking <laughs> about money. Yeah. And so we like to, we kind yeah. of avoid it. And it's that avoiding of it that causes all the problems. And, and so, you know, for me, I don't have many clients that don't spend much money. I do have some, uh, but not many. Um, and so, you know, that's yeah. why I would say, I think, you know, you can also, you can, you know, preparation. Well, we do the same as you. I've exactly, yeah, I'm sure you do. I know you're professional. With, with a big yeah. grin, because yeah. I, I, yeah. I always take them, assuming it's, there's nobody else in there, I take them into the reveal room at the end of the shoot yeah. and show them, I'm going to bring you here I'm going to show you your, the pictures of the people you love the most in the world yeah. set to soft music and guess how soft and pliable <laughs> your wallet is going to be at the end of that. And yeah. I took them through each of the prices, but there's still things like the unavoidable disconnect. Of course. Absolutely, uh, I had yeah. one the other day. Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail, uh, particularly because, of course, these are clients of mine. Um, but we gave the client to one member of the family, the, the person who's responsible for booking the shoot and bringing everybody in. Mm -hmm. What we didn't know was that that person was not going to be the buyer. 
Well, there's some the stuff there's some internal stuff going on that I knew nothing about yeah right um, and so in the end I no, did have right. someone stand in the reveal room and say how much <laughs> and yeah. I said I've given you a price list I've given yeah. both these people Not prices <laughs> uh, and the person yeah. who was standing there I said well that. I haven't seen those and, uh, and there's nothing I could do there's, no, you, you, no. and all I could do was smile and laugh yeah and I did and I said well you know it's what we charge you know you're a business person yeah. this is what you do and this is what I do yeah. um, and uh, with a degree of yeah you're, you're absolutely everything you've said I'm loving because these are messages that need to get out there oh, to photographers so, yeah. I'm really excited about it um, but there is still the unavoidable um, uh, and uh, how you deal with that uh, is important you're right yeah <laughs> I, yeah I, I totally get what you mean the, the I mean, you have, I mean, I, I've got as many stories as you have about that. Yeah. And, and I've got, I tell you what, what, interestingly as well, the other thing that occurs to me about it as well is that in the kind of human level, yeah. I think, and I love the way you said about you know, the way you just dealt with that client because that's, again, is what I would do. I'm not embarrassed by it yeah. anymore. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. So I want them to understand that. I want them to understand the fact that, yeah, I'm going to talk to you about softening your wallet. And I often sit here and they say, yeah, the, the coffee's free. It's the only thing in, in here <laughs> yeah, that yeah, is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cookies. Because, because <laughs> you know, if, if you don't say that, then the implication is that you're trying to oust some cash from them. If you're, yeah. if you're open about the fact that, that it is expensive, it is a lot of money, isn't that funny? Isn't that amusing? Yeah. <laughs> so, frankly, it is, because yeah. I know damn well I was thinking it. So why should, why should I yeah. think that they wouldn't think it? Yeah. And, and I think the mistake that a lot of people make is that they kind of detach themselves from, from, them, from themselves. You know, that, yeah. that they don't act like themselves. I'm always telling people, you know, by, you know, I've got a small group of mentorees. It changes every year, but I, only, I was only ever have a small group. Um, and I would say one of the most common things I tell them is just be you. You know, yeah. you're a yeah. you're a decent person. You're yeah. a nice person. People like you. You're friendly. You're you, you, you dress okay. You don't smell. <laughs> so, so 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 basically, you know, be you. I did. I tell you, you is about I tell you on the side though. I went to customer service in Sainsbury's a couple of months ago, and they did smell. He did. <laughs> the guy that met me smelled so bad that it was the most counterproductive <laughs> customer service representative I've ever met. His hair was greasy. He, he, I could smell him from six feet away. I love this and it's comedy, like, comedy podcast about how much people smell. Well, I don't I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Which recruiter thought that was a great idea? You know, or which know, manager has I not... I know, I know. It's you just, know you're, com- it's, you're, you're front of house. But what happens, though, I think, with these things, because I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a service addict. I'm an absolutely... Mm addicted to I mean I embarrass my family all the time by in equal numbers by how much I complain and how much I, I compliment yeah because I also you know I'm, I'm the first person to go man you guys are amazing uh, uh, you know just it was, uh, because I think it's really important but uh, I'm an addict but what I think my, see my, I've, I've thought about this a lot because I'm I'm dull that way um, but uh I think what happens is that people come onto the role, they have all that enthusiasm, then they, the company structure and their life and their clients beat them down. Yeah. And then they end up coming to work smelling of last night's curry and, oh, just, and just like, and not, you know, and just not bothered really. And I think it's a real shame. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely a shame. And if you get to that point, really you, should, you should give it up and change your job, you know what I mean? Yeah. And get a bath. Yeah. No, I, that's what I said. <laughs> I, just, I, I felt like saying to him, get a bath. Yeah. It was it was terrible. But, um, it's really it's lovely talking to you about all of the customer service side of it. You came into this industry from commercial advertising photography. Yeah, yeah very much. So. How different is 
I mean, I know you still do a blend of the different industries, yeah, but the social yeah. photography, so how different are those two industries? They really are very different, actually, I would say, as an, op- on a, as, as a, as an opening comment. Uh, very different indeed. Your approach has to be different, um, and I think not everybody could, could handle that. I don't think, you know, I think the two worlds are very, you know, I've got people in the, uh, very good mates of mine uh, still shoot you know, full-time advertising editorial stuff who are just like, oh, I can't believe you're doing that, Rich. You know, how can you, you know, why would you, want to put yourself through that um, but uh, but I, I feel very differently about it I mean I, the fir- for me um, coming into portrait photography was a, a bit of a um, what is that? it's a bit of a kind of a right of passage why did you come into portrait yeah good question um, a combination of reasons I, I, um, I, I actually get asked that quite a lot about because when I say portrait photography I mean I am a portrait photographer children's portraits you know what? My one project is pretty much all I do now, yeah. because there isn't any time for anything else. I get calls from people now and again wanting me to shoot private portraits for them, and it's great, fine. But I, to be honest, they they're kind of almost back shelved hmm. because we have so many applicants for the book, Children of London book, that it that it's you know whatever. But so it came about through a combination of things, really. Um, uh, the initial idea, uh, I actually nicked the initial idea, like all the, be- like all the best businesses, I nicked it from somebody else. Um, uh, but the motivation behind it was that I was on a plane. It sounds great, this, doesn't it? I was on a plane coming back from New York. <laughs> I'd just shot a campaign for uh, Three Musketeers, which is a big chocolate bar in the States. I think it's the biggest selling chocolate bar in the States. It's like Milky Way. Right, okay. It's like a Milky Way thing, yeah. I've been there shooting for about a week and a half in a studio. Um, uh, At that time, I was, I would say I was in America, mainly New York, but America a lot, about once a month, uh, shooting a lot. And life was good. It's fabulous. It's wonderful. It's very, very rock and roll. It's wonderful. But I have three children. Uh, they are now 21, 19, and 12. The 12 year old at that time had kind of just been born. And I realized I didn't kind of want to repeat what I'd just done for the previous decade, um, uh, in which is like basically hardly ever been at home, to be perfectly yeah. honest. And there was an element of that, but it's like a drug. It's a bit, it's, it's yeah. very sexy. So you want to yeah, do yeah. it, but at the same time, you've also got this lovely thing of a new family at home. And, and it's like, Ugh. so, so I want to, so I didn't want to give it up entirely, but I wanted to change the balance. So that's the first, that was the first motivation. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, I also had this strange kind of um, weirdness that I think some, a lot of us suffer actually from, which is that you walk down the street, somebody rattles a tin in your face and says, give some money to this charity. And I always go, no, 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 no. And I walk on, don't disturb me and so on. And part of you is thinking, well, I don't know who this guy is, so why should I be giving money to him? And part of you then walks away, or part of me, I'd always walk away thinking, God, you're a miserable bastard, aren't you? <laughs> it's like, why don't you just give some money? And I wanted to kind of reconcile that. And I thought, if I can work with a charity to make some money for a charity on a, on a regular basis, then uh, I can free my own conscience, if you know what I mean. That, that, you know, so it's almost a selfish thing, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, fine, I can do that. Now, if I can do that as part of my business, then I can use that as a marketing tool so it worked for me on that basis. I make no bones about it whatsoever. We, we, we ask every client that is uh, successful in applying for the Children of London book 
to make a donation to Great Ormond Street. They don't pay me a fee, they make a donation to Great Ormond Street. We recommend a minimum of £50. Most of them donate more, which is great. Um, uh, but it gives me, and I went to Great Ormond Street with this idea um, and uh, explained to them that I didn't want them to think that I was doing this because it was a, a big charity thing. It isn't. It's a marketing, it's a business thing. And I'm doing this because I want my clients to feel comfortable in coming to me. Yep. But by the way, I think I can raise some money for you. Is that okay with you? And they actually laughed at me and embraced it, saying it's so joyous to hear somebody <laughs> actually being honest yep. about it for once. Yep. Uh, and do you know what? They, they actually redesigned a logo for me, especially for me, which they now use for everything, which is the Inadov logo. Wow. The Inadov Great Street logo was designed for me, and they now use it for any, all commercial projects that are in aid of yeah. Great Ormond Street Hospital. So it's not a commercial, it's not a, a Great Ormond Street project, it's a in aid of project. Yeah. Um, so that was that. And then the third thing was, and this is probably the biggest motivation of all, that um, I felt very strongly that the British public were really ill-served when it came to portraits. And what I mean by that is that there wasn't a portrait photographer on the high street that I knew about that I would want to go to. I just didn't, I couldn't find anybody. Yeah. My children's portraits were pretty rubbish my, my little boy came back from my new little boy came back from nursery um his first couple of years with these nursery pictures they were horrendous uh, and I just thought this is just wrong I know I know that this can be done better than this um and that's where the kind of the children of London concept came from and that's what changed it up. and that happened to be at a time also on a commercial level where the the advertising market just fell apart I mean it was just you know mm. we'd gone and so I think all of that bound into it and what actually happened was that I was going it was in 89 90 I think uh, to, sorry uh, to, uh, 2008 2009 and basically in 89 I'd, I'd been through the previous recession the, uh, yeah. the Margaret Thatcher recession yeah. um, and sort of like like a lot of the time reinvented myself again and I became more focused on advertising rather than just commercial and I went yeah. the opposite way and yeah. well, this time around I just thought you know what it's going to be a lot of hard work work was falling off and I, I knew why I was long enough in the two I knew it would come back yeah. but I just thought I'm not going to just reinvent it all over again you know I want to do something different I, I want to stop working for for um, ad agencies and big fat fat cat clients and work for myself for a bit and you know I'm a control freak like most photographers are <laughs> and the lovely thing about my book is that I photograph it, I design it, I write it, I print it, I distribute it, I do it, it's my yeah. work. And if, it, and if you don't like it, it's my fault that you don't like it. Yeah. Uh, so that's why, so that, that's, okay. the big, that, that's like the big, big answer. But it's quite a change. Yeah. And it took me a long time to get to grips with it. Um, particularly, not the photographic element of it. Sorry, I'm talking too much now. You know no, not at all. I mean, I'm uh, <laughs> but I think the, the photographic element of it, I loved because Believe it or not, for the previous decade, I don't think I shot a single job without a medium or large format camera and lighting. Yeah. I don't think I ever picked up a camera. I had a Canon, in those days it was still film. Yeah. Uh, I was one of the first guys to get the, you know, the, the new uh, modern um, uh, <laughs> digital things. Um, uh, and yet I had not shot with a camera on my hip for a, over a decade, I think. Mm. I think the only thing I'd done, I did some travel brochures, which are great fun, and that was probably the only thing that I did, but that, was, that would, would, would have been 10 years before. Yeah. 
And I wanted to get back to that thing of like walking out with a camera on my hip, uh, with just me and a camera bag. Yeah. And it was so, the first year I did it, I just thought, God, I love this. Yeah. It's so nice just to kind of like be a photographer again, rather than being a, a production director, basically, yeah. which is what you are on a big advertising yeah. shoot. So, but now I have both, and I have the combination, and it's really nice, and I love that. So, very lucky. You, so you also travel around the world photographing, of course I'm going to ask you about the Guinness World Records. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because it, I mean, it's very, it's, it's both fascinating, but the photography is very varied. Yeah. Which is kind of yeah. why I'm fascinated by yeah. it. Um, so how do you go about each of those? What is it about those? How, how do you find inspiration for those images? Man, that is, I mean, you, you know, Paul, because we've, we've spoken about this it's before. Um, and we, I know you interviewed me at the photography show about it, and, and so you know we've had this kind of conversation before. But the, the funny enough, the Guinness World Record thing that that contract came started at about the same time, which is a very uh, funny, really. Um, so I gave up my studio in Covent Garden uh, based on that and on on the Children of London. And the, the reason that, it, that it's relevant is that basically they came to me and they said, "We want you to, uh, you know, would you be interested in shooting for something?" Every boy in the world yeah. wants to shoot, but it's like, of course I would. <laughs> uh, yeah, we want you to do, the way they put it, we want you to do the big shots. I just thought, that's, keep talking to me, you know, it's like, please. So what they mean by that is that they have lots of snapshots. They have lots of news reporter shots of all their fabulous events all over the yeah. world. But they wanted some bigger images to use for DPSs, dual page spreads, mm -hmm. for posters and for promos. They do a lot of big promotions over the world. And they, so they said, we want you to bring a kind of an advertising sensibility to some of the events, that, to some of the big records that we've got. So just to be clear, because people often ask this, I very rarely actually go along to the record attempt, yeah. although sometimes it may happen when I'm there. Uh, um, it, these are always people that have got the record already. So we'll, the way it works is that uh, the picture editor um, will organise a dozen or 20 shoots uh, over a given area, which could be America or it could be Europe, um, and then we'll, he will work out a, 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 a timeline for them all. We'll fly off to the first location, and then we'll normally pick up a, a vehicle. Myself, assistant, um, Michael, picture editor, and sometimes we also have a film crew as well, filming us for their promotions and for other stuff. Um, but we'll pick a vehicle and then we'll travel to the next location, normally with a day in between, and then we may get a plane somewhere in between and travel on. So it's a lovely, you know, great photographic boys trip, basically. It's just yeah. fantastic fun. And we also have lots of things going on, like for instance, obviously, every time we pick up a new hire car, it has to be larger than the previous one. And that's one of our rules, it has to be. So we have to start off with a relatively small vehicle because <laughs> we have been known to have things the size of, of like mega trucks, by the, particularly in America. You know, I, I can tell you all the biggest four wheel drive trucks in America because I've hired them all <laughs> by the end of the week. Anyway, so that, that's how that works. But the, no, the concept behind it is that they want me to go to a, uh, a, a record with, and obviously I've got information about it beforehand and, I, and I'll often formulate an idea before I get there, but I don't know any more than that. I don't recce them, we don't, get, we don't get a chance to recce them, so I have to turn up with relatively small lighting kit, uh, me and an assistant, and then turn them into fabulous shots. And the challenge of that is just so exciting. You know, it's so exciting, because you don't know before you go. I mean, one of the shots, for instance, I mean, I'll give you a good example. One of the shots I'm particularly fond of is the shot of, one well, of the records I think is amazing, is um, uh, 
Darren Taylor, Professor Splash is his name, who has the world record for diving into a paddling pool. Yeah. Now, the, the record requirements are that a paddling pool has to be no deeper than 12 inches. So imagine a one foot deep paddling pool, just like exactly as you'd imagine in your back garden. The paddling pool has to be commercially available. So by the way, he has them imported from Japan. <laughs> so they make very large paddling pools in Japan. Don't know why, but there we are. What they do, so these things are quite big. Although they are actual paddling pools, blow up, as in, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they blow yeah. them up. Uh, and he dies from 46 feet into a paddling pool. <laughs> Just to qualify that, that is the top of a three-story building. It is mental. <laughs> like, so anyway, the record aside, I have to turn that into a great image. So we turn up at Darren's house, and Darren, bless his heart, <laughs> lives in America, um, uh, um, in near Red Rocks. Can't remember the name of the area. But he lives near a six-lane highway, literally next to a six-lane highway. So when you go in his garden, you can't hear yourself speak. It's that, it's that relevant. Yeah. It's horrible. Uh, his yard is full of old cars and barbecues and whatever. And then there's this great big tower and a paddling pool where he practices. God knows how many accidents he must have caused by people going by and seeing <laughs> this guy diving off the top of a 46-foot high tower. But then, so I just thought, we can't do that. Yeah, we can't, we've, we've arrived there. We've just arrived there that day. It's like, this can't work. So we drove around. We saw a, uh, a rodeo showground. And so we went in there and we played what was now known, what we now call the, the Guinness card. Everybody in the world loves Guinness World yeah. Records. It's amazing. So we went to this rodeo place and we said, look, can we use your rodeo ground, the area around here, to do this record in? And of course they said yes, because we're Guinness World Records. It's a commercial organization. I don't know why they allow us to do it for nothing, but they do. Um, so, uh, and we then went out that night to a, a, um, uh, a Walmart and I bought a whole load of blow up toys and weird, funny stuff like, you know, just weird big blow up things and rubber rings and whatever. Uh, and then we set it up there. I then, and we then rang up a, uh, uh, a um, uh, uh, cherry picker company. And again, asked them, would they, like, would they mind coming along to help us out for Guinness World Records? The following day they arrived for free with a huge terri- a cherry picker. And I shot him from above looking down into the ground with these um, rubber rings all around him, we- him wearing a big rubber ring as well. Uh, now the point about it is, it's one of my favorite shots, I love it. It was great fun to do, but we had no pre-production for that at all. If I'd shot that for an advertising client, we'd have been in pre-production for a week. Yeah. We'd have had a team of about 30 people, there'd be specialists there, there'd be cherry picker people, there'd be safety guys, there'd be, there'd be catering vans. Be, yeah. <laughs> and it, what I love about it is that the irony of the fact that we, we just turn up and do it, and, and they, they end up being just as strong. And I've won probably more awards for those images than any other set of images I've ever done. And yet their production values are really, really, you know, they're really available to anyone. I mean, pretty much anybody with, with a couple of lights could shoot them. What do you think is, the, the, what skill set do you think makes that possible on your side? Well, I think, firstly, it's about, it's about thinking creatively in every sense. And so it's not just creatively in terms of what the image is going to look like, because I think a lot of photographers can do that. I think that's, you know, it's a great skill and it's an important skill. But it's, it's also thinking creatively about how we're going to do it and how we get things done. I always have great reliance on my assistants. And there was a little test that I um, 
you used to apply to my assistance all the time. I haven't actually, you know, things move on, so you do different things, but, uh, and I think this is a good, a good example. So I would say to my new assistant, and this was based on a job, I, I shot a job for P&O Ferries a few years ago, and I had to shoot ferries out at sea. It was all about them opening the restaurant. You know, they have that, um, what's his name? The big chef is on P&O Ferries. I can't remember his name now. Whatever, well, you know, whoever it is, I can't remember his name. Not, not Gordon, but the other one. Anyway, um, so uh, he was opening these restaurants up on P&O Ferries. So uh, the brief was big 48-sheet, 96-sheet poster campaign, and the brief was like ferry at sea with beautiful skyline, and the sea was made up of knives and forks and spoons, all in, in like a kind of a pattern. So we had to shoot the ferries at sea. And they said, okay, we can do that. So, of course, you can't stop these things. I have to go in there. So we had to organise it all. So organised a helicopter and, a, and a, a big uh, sky mount for me to be sitting outside the sky. You know, lots of fun, great fun. And then uh, also a, at that time, do you know, I've tried to find this since, and I can't find it, but I, I organised a, like a thing the size of an ostrich egg that has two gyroscopes inside. You switch them on, it takes you about 10 minutes for them to wind up. You strap it to the bottom of your camera, and you can hold your camera in midair with one hand, and you can't move it. Oh, really? It's a really beautiful thing. Um, so... Uh, and this was with big uh, Mamiya uh, uh, yeah. RZ67, yeah. so it's a big camera. So all these things. And then the other, but the other thing is, is that any helicopter that goes more than, I forget what it is now, the exact thing, I think it's more than 200 metres offshore, has to, have, has to be a, a twin-engine helicopter right. by law. Yeah. Uh, now, I used to use that job as a, uh, as a test for my assistants in their interview. So I'd say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this job. I'll just explain the job to you. I want you to organise all that for me, please. Now, I found that most of them did everything in terms of the helicopter and the, and the, the sky mount and blah, blah, blah. Virtually nobody got the twin engine helicopter, though, which means that on the day, you'd turn up and you wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. Now, that's what's important. Yeah. That's the element that's important about, about doing these things. It's being able to read a problem to the nth degree so when you turn up, it actually happens because there's no chance yeah. to not get it right. And if there's an element of that... Of that, uh, of that Professor Splash shop that I'd got wrong, I turn up on the day and the guys at the, the radio place, they're not bothered. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Their head's not on the block. Yeah. They don't care. Sorry, Rich, we've got a radio on today. You can't do that. Because yeah. I didn't tell them the exact time I wanted to do it or yeah. I didn't explain exactly how it should be done. And there's a certain way to do that and there's a certain way, a skill set to enabling you to making absolute 100% certain that you don't turn up and it not happen. And I think that's almost as important as working out the way to do it is, is working out what can go wrong before it happens so yeah. it doesn't go wrong. And I'm very boring about those things. You know, I'm very boring about making sure everything's, everything's absolutely signed off before you do it. And how do you think those skills have translated forwards into your portrait social photography? All the time. Yeah. I mean, honestly, all the time. Particularly with locations. Yeah. So uh, we actually had a shoot the other day because uh, I now employ freelance, uh, several other photographers um, to uh, shoot on, on the book for me. I have some great, great names. I have Soraya Corteville yeah. shoots for me, Panikos yeah. shoots for me. I know these names you, you'll, you'll yeah, know. Yeah. And Andy Mack, who's, uh, I don't know if you know Andy Mack, but Andy Mack's, I think, one of the best up and coming uh, wedding photographers in the world. He's an amazing guy. Um, Andy uh, did a shoot for me yesterday uh, and uh, at Osterley Park. Um, which is a great little little small stately home park area. I've shot there, probably shouldn't say this now, but I've shot there three times before. Uh, 
Uh, and because I shot there three times before, we didn't make any issue about it. And it's like, yeah, he, he just went, he was booked in to do it. I booked him in to do it. He didn't do the shoot. One of the rangers there said, no, you can't shoot here. Uh, what? Um, no, you've got a permit. Now, he got a particularly, uh, what I call, little man with big boots yeah. uh, type of ranger who was really, really uptight about it. Now, what those things are for, what those licenses are for, are for commercial photographers who are doing it you know, on a commercial yeah. level to make big, big bucks out of, out of selling them to agencies or, or within a, an advertising context. And obviously you can't do that. But for us to turn up and do some, some portraits of a child in the grounds is not a big deal. It's not a big issue. But we didn't cross the T's and we didn't dot the I's mm. and we should have sorted it out. Um, that very, very, very rarely happens because we're normally very good at it. But that's how it translates. Yeah. Um, that and then also the fact that when I, one of the identifying factors of the book is that throughout the book we'll do some pretty fabulous locations. I mean, you can see on the wall places like the Adelphi Theatre. Uh, this is Twickenham. Yeah. Um, so when you go to these places, for instance, you go to a big sports stadium. If you don't make it really clear that you want to be on the pitch, not just in the seating at yeah. the side, then you won't get on the pitch because groundsmen are a law unto themselves. You know, the, the, the MD of the sports club, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, or whoever it is, you ain't coming on that pitch unless the groundsman says so. So I have to make 100% certain before I go there that they understand that, it's, uh, that, that what we're doing is more than just a little, a little snapshot. Um, so that's how it translates, yeah. you know, things like that. Uh, with that shot there, yeah. okay, that was shot at the theatre where the Lion King was playing. That floor was disallowed. I couldn't use that floor. Why? because that is part of the Lion King set and it's owned by Disney. And when we got there, the Disney woman came out and said, oh, you can't use these shots because they've got the Disney floor on it. And I was like, you are kidding me. The, the director of the theater was like, what? But he said, I can't do anything about it, Richard. Though. Now, as it happened, the, her director came back off holiday two weeks later and emailed me and said, I'm so sorry. That is ridiculous. Of course you can use it. It's not a problem. But my point is, is that that's what happens yeah. on the shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if you don't know that before you get yeah. there or be the kind of person that assumes it, then you're going to trip up. Yeah. And that's daily routine for me. Yeah. I, I, had one, I got stopped once, I think. Because I mean, we were like you, we're a little bit ring ahead. Yeah. Pay the licenses if you need to, all that yeah. stuff. Uh, but I took a chance. I was photographing some musicians at the Royal Academy of Music. Right. And we weren't necessarily going up to uh, Swedish Park, just north of there. Yeah. We weren't really going to do it but I thought the weather's nice let's go up there and midway through shooting these guys uh, a really friendly thankfully London Bobby came past yeah. and he kind of sidled up and asked me what we we're doing and I explained very politely yeah. with a smile uh, and he said oh he said you need a you need a permit for that <laughs> and uh, I said oh I'm so sorry I didn't know you know I, I, I that's not entirely true I kind of thought yeah, yeah, I might yeah, I do exactly where you're I kind of did it. the whole well I wasn't using a tripod oh, so I thought I only needed yeah. you know that kind of stuff yeah. and he said <laughs> yes he it. said you do he said but you need a moment to, you need to think about that he said and I think you need about 40 minutes to think about that oh, good man. I'll be back in 40 minutes and he said and if you are still here then we'll have a chat and see what you've come up with I like but it. if you're not here then you know obviously you've decided not to bother and off he pottled I'll tell you something <laughs> and I did it to the stopwatch you just, you just reminded me of a, a really good example as well which I think is just great uh, two months ago I did a shoot in Germany for Triumph motorbikes 
uh, it was, um, you know the scene in uh, The Great, Great Escape? Escape yeah. Do you know about this? I, I don't know the story, but okay. I know the scene. So uh, the scene in The Great Escape where Steve McQueen jumps yeah. over the thing, yeah? Uh, jumps over the fence to escape into Austria. Uh, and um, it's not, not everybody knows this, but the bike he was actually on, although it was, it was badged with BMW, it was actually a Triumph. Because you know, in those days they didn't have to be accurate, they just looked yeah. cool. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, uh, it was actually a Triumph, it was a 60s right. Triumph that they used. And Triumph know this, they had the bike in their... In their Brilliant, um, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, at, at their offices at the museum. Yeah. So they said, you take the bike, and a modern Triumph as well, a modern uh, trailer, they've got this new trailer, trailer bike out. Uh, and then find the spot where we did the actual jump and do a shoot there. So we thought, oh, great, great brief. So we were on there. Um, now we had a contact there, which is the uh, the tourist officer. He was this fact. He was really into it because we were you know, making a big publicity thing about. It. And he was going through magazines all over the UK. It's already been out to a, to a large degree. Uh, and so we went there. And the, he, he said, well, well, where is the actual spot? He said, well, to be honest, we don't actually know the exact spot that it happened because it's not open to the public anymore. It is privately owned land and the farmer farms it. And so he's actually said to us before, please don't encourage people to do this because otherwise I'm going to have you know, yeah. people traipsing there all day and all night. So we were, we were a little bit on the edge yeah. of what is like right and wrong, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I was aware of that, but I, kind of, I thought it was quite funny. So, so we had stills from the movie and we went to the field area where it was and then we marched around this field area looking at where we had. Now, Triumph turned up, uh, Triumph t um, turned up, basically me and my crew flew there, then they turned up in a van with a, with a bike wrangler who's basically like a, you know, one of these amazing mechanic yeah. super guys that like, really knows what he's doing. I mean, I ride motorbikes, but this guy's on a different planet. Uh, and he would whip the bikes out the back and just put them into position for us. So we're right at this thing. It's a big field full of, not corn, but grass. It's obviously been, you know, and yeah. beautifully done. And he jumps on this old triumph and just fires it up and rides straight across the field. And I'm thinking, oh dear. So we, this field. we get to this place where I said, well, that's where it is. I can see the mountains in the background. The mountains, yeah. that's per. We get there. As we get there, a tractor comes over <laughs> the hill. And, we, and I went back to being about 10 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I know that feeling. And that thing when I was 10 years old that I learned, and it, and it, and it helped me out, which is that when you're 10 years old, you quickly learn that if you turn and run, then you're in trouble because somebody's yeah. going to run after you. If you go straight to towards, towards the it. offender or the or the 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 the, um, the policeman, then nobody that's guilty ever comes towards you. Yeah. So I'm as guilty as anything, but I, w I went straight towards the tractor. So goodness me, we're, we're trying to look for this spot here with this farmer who was German. And he couldn't speak any English, I didn't speak any German. But it really, really paid off. This guy, it ended up by pure coincidence. This, this guy not only owned the field, but his father had worked with Steve McQueen on the movie. Oh, really? And so he couldn't wait to show us the whole thing. And it all worked out phenomenally well. But it just, yeah. so yeah, you know, you've got to be, you've got to think on your feet a bit, and I think you've got to be the kind of person that likes that kind of thing. You've also got to like people. Yeah, absolutely. Getting, yeah, that, getting out of trouble is forming, forming friendships fast. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, if you're, yeah, you're right. And if you treat people in that way, then they generally will come on board with you. They no, I, well. absolutely. Uh, I want to shoot like that. I was sent by a, a wedding couple. Could I take a picture of this tree? Her father was buried under this tree and he couldn't be at the wedding and they wanted a picture of this beautiful tree <laughs> to be at the wedding. <laughs> Quite emotional. Though. And I waited for the right weather conditions, beautiful broken sky, all that kind of stuff, and took a picture of a tree. Not my norm, but no, you know, okay. black and white picture of a tree. Well, a little did I know the farmland that it was on, the farmer, the owner of the land, had got um, infrared beams everywhere. 
because I'd had trouble with travellers coming on. High tech And so as I was walking away from this field, I hear an Alsatian. (laughs) (laughs) I just hear this Alsatian and I see the lady coming down the track with this big old dog. And I'd like you, I I thought, well, what's the worst thing? If I run, I I can't outrun an Alsatian. No. So I walked straight towards them. Yeah, yeah. Always the way. Always straight towards them. And uh, she was so touched by the story, she booked to do a portrait shoot shoot with us as well. (laughs) Which brings as, as it, right back to, it turns out I knew her from school. You know what? That brings us right there back to where we started, where the complaint happens yeah, that's and you right. ended up turning yeah. it into a client. I nearly got chewed by an Alsatian. Instead, <laughs> I created and sold some pictures. It was a Good lovely man. shoot. Perfect. Um, I mean, so lovely podcast. And I could talk to you all day. There's also, I've got all sorts of little bits on here, but I think we need to move to your books yeah. and be making notes as we've gone through this because I knew about uh, all of them, but I had, I'm not sure I kind of figured on the scale of it all. You say all of them, there's not that many. I mean, well, you've got the like Children's London. JJ Rowling, I think. Well, okay. <laughs> now, that's a podcast I'd like to do. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, Rich, but if yeah. I can get that Bye, podcast, I will turn you off now and be off at the door. Uh, you've got the Children of London books, yeah. which are, I mean, they're a book, and you monetize them, you sell yeah, them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you've got Rich do. Photographer, Poor Photographer, the little yeah, books. Yeah. Uh, and recently, or more recently, you've uh, come onto the same publishing house that we yeah. have with Mastering Children's Photography. That's like, uh, children's Portraits, yeah. Mastering yeah. Children's Portraits. Yeah. So uh, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about each of those, I guess. Yeah, um, uh, the writing thing I absolutely love, actually. And I, I started writing right at the beginning of, of my career when I worked for uh, a mutual friend, David Kilpatrick, who's, um, you know, well, I was so lucky to have met David when I very first started out in my career. Yeah. Uh, amazing man on every level, great photographer, great writer. And he very quickly got me writing for him, which is great. Um, I wasn't very good at it, I don't think. Uh, I couldn't type the starters, which didn't help. <laughs> um, uh, um, but he really encouraged me a lot. And I, I think that, that love for writing never left me. I, I now can type a bit better. And I think actually, funnily enough, when I came back to it, which is over the past like five or six years, I found it easier to write because I could type. Yeah. <laughs> so I could just, I, I could put on paper or on screen what I felt a lot more yeah. easily and more quickly. So I've always really enjoyed that. Uh, the Children of London book is, I mean, I love books. I love the printed thing. And what I wanted the Children of London book to be was just this beautiful thing. Uh, and I hope, I hope you'd agree they are. I mean, they're, they're huge. I mean, these are yeah, them. They are. They're huge. They're boxed. They're Who prints them? Do you print them? You get all the printed Yeah, they're printed yourself. in London. Uh, it's another thing I wanted to make a big deal of. Uh, printed by Precision uh, Printing, uh, who are based over in East London. Um, they are amazing, absolutely superb. I, I, I went through three publishers before I got to them. I, I, the first two were printed by different companies. Right. And finally I got to them. And uh, we've grown together with the book as, as, as the technology has come on board, because yeah. it was a really big deal. That, you know, initially that we were right on the edge of what was possible and we couldn't do things like um, for instance the first few had to be perfect bound when they glue it into a yeah. into the, and we did that and they fell apart yeah. the first year so we had to then cross staple them which is also then the, then the guttering was too deep and so it's like we've grown and developed as the technology has and now they're properly saddle stitched which is in sections which is what a proper book should be if you like the print quality is really important to me I mean nothing is more important I spend Hours, I mean, more hours, days. In fact, sitting in in uh, in viewing rooms with them as the book comes out and seeing them coming off press and checking away lows. And you have to be very, 
you have to be really solid about it because you know printing guys they want to get the job done yeah and you've got to be that you turn into that awkward client that you've that you've experienced so many times of like going nope not happy with that nope not happy with that gotta do that gotta do that and so that i'm really for me it's it's a passion of mine that they are beautiful that they're beautifully printed beautifully produced and i think without that the whole project doesn't mean anything uh they're going to go to the queen they go to the prime minister they go to the mayor and you know those are big big important areas um that they're going to sit and they're, they're going to be there for prosperity so it's important that, mm. that you know, nothing is more important than the quality of them i in terms of commercially i make virtually nothing out of those books because i put the money that people spend in the means of producing the books yeah if i if i had to live off just saying those books i'd be a pauper um uh but I think it's really important that the money that people put into them is what they get back. Um, the clients themselves buy copies, obviously, but also collectors buy them as well. And there's, um, it's just a lovely, beautiful kind of part of the craft. That, and we, you know, we're all, all photographers are the same. We love that stuff. Yeah, we love absolutely. seeing our work in print. And it's big. It's a great big A3 pages, A2 double page spread. It's amazing. So that's, that's one type of book. And it's a, that's a total and utter self-indulgence. The... Um, Rich Photographer, Per Photographer was something that I really wanted to do and I would wanted to do actually for quite a while. Um, I did a lot of seminars on, uh, on business, on marketing, on sales and so on. I personally feel that there's too many, um, uh, there's too many workshops and seminars talking about the, uh, the production element of what we do. Um, I'm not saying that I know everything about lighting and, and, uh, and how to shoot portraits and how to shoot still life. Of course I don't. You never do. But the way I view it is this. As a photographer, of course your work has to be good. It has to be better than good. It has to be superb every time if you can do. But what I think a lot of photographers don't understand is the business element of what they do has to work as well because if you don't have that if that business doesn't work then you can't be a photographer mm. you're what's called a hobbyist and so <laughs> get a proper job and then go and take you know i've no problem with that you know mm. but but if that's but if you want to call yourself a photographer then it means your business is photography that means you have to have a viable business the only way to have a viable business is to make sure that your business runs correctly and properly and too many photographers just regard that as a as a kind of a byproduct and that comes from a sense of you ask photographers what matters to them. What matters to them is the picture quality, it's images, it's, it's lighting, it's technique. It's all about... Now, the truth is, from a business point of view, that is just one element of their marketing strategy. And people never seem to understand that. They don't connect the fact that the quality of your work is a marketing strategy. That's all it is. It's part of it. So you couldn't do without it, but it's not the only thing that matters. So the other stuff is just as important if you want to have a business. And I can prove that categorically and I do, I use this metaphor all the time in seminars because it's really important. Is there a photographer in the room that has not looked at a poster campaign with the biggest advertising in the world and thought, well, I can't believe they used that guy. I could have done that. Well, you could have done. So obviously he's doing something else that you aren't, isn't he? <laughs> because we can all do the shots. Yeah. So it isn't, you know, the reason that people get to shoot these big campaigns isn't all about the fact that they're better photographers it's about the fact that they're good photographers like hopefully like we all are but they also market themselves and they use that as part of their marketing strategy uh, and so that's why what i felt very passionately about 
um, that uh, the business runs well. So I wrote Rich Photographer, Per Photographer based on that. It was initially going to be one book and it, because I can't stop talking, as you probably noticed, <laughs> it ended up being three books. It ended up being a trilogy. This could end up being two podcasts. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm quite It's all good. Yeah. Better, so, much better to have too much than too little. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it depends who it is. But, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so that was my first kind of foray into, into book writing. Uh, I love it. I felt really passionately about the fact that it, my first book, I wanted to control every element of it. So I self-published it. Um, I, during which time I spoke to various different publishers and various different publishers made me offers and so on. But I thought, no, I'm going to publish it myself. Um, uh, which was a good thing, he says with a, uh, a stern face. It was a good thing because I got a beautiful, I mean, the books are beautiful. They're lovely. They've got a lovely feel to them. Absolutely wonderful stuff. Commercially speaking, it's really difficult to make money out of it. Now, I, you know, I'd love to see you and say, yeah, I did self-published it and I made a million out of it. I didn't, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't lose money on it, but I certainly am not going to be tired on it. There's no way you're going to do that. Um, with a publisher, it's a lot easier. Um, and the lovely people at Ammonite, who I know mm -hmm. you've worked with as well, uh, were really great and they came to me because of our connection with the, the rich photographer per photographer um, thing which I, you know i published myself but they said we really like you know we know you, you do this children of london thing we'd love you to write a book on uh children's portraiture which is great and that's what i did uh and that has been just joyous i love them I, i'm really i'm very i'm quite i'm very control freaky but i found them to be just fabulous they're, they're very standoffish about the design and whatever. They're very happy for me to change things and do what I want to do. And I, my relationship with them has been fantastic. Um, I'm now in the middle of writing another book for them, uh, which is really great. Um, so I was clearly happy with the first. So I'm writing a book on lighting, right. um, which again, I'm really excited about because it's like another element of things that are where I can bring you know, 30 years of experience to bear and you know I've been very lucky in the fact that I think I've worked in pretty much not every field of photography nobody has but I've worked in all the bit more the main ones I've done you know I guess still life I've done people I've done advertising I've done portraiture I've done editorial I've done some weddings not I'm not very good at weddings but whatever um, and so that and all those things are combined within that whole thing of uh, of lighting and they all have different Adaptation. It's a really exciting time in lighting at the moment mm. as well. Because, I mean, the, the world of lighting has changed hugely over the past five years even. I mean, it's a different world now. Uh, I've got, I mean, God knows how many lighting kits, um, probably far too many. Um, from, I mean, I've got kit from Elinchrom, I've got kit from Profoto, and I've got kit, kit from Godox. Um, uh, and uh, they all do different things and they do them in different ways. Uh, I love them more. I've, I've got, yeah, my, my, my lighting setup has changed hugely. Lighting is a lot easier to use now, yeah. so much easier. Um, it does clever, clever stuff. Um, just the thing of having transmitters as opposed to cables yeah. is a huge element. I mean, it's just massive. Um, uh, and it's all a lot more lightweight. So, I mean, so, I, mean I, I just yesterday did a Got a big fashion thing, fashion shoot, and we were shooting around uh, uh, Borough Market in London, which is kind of quite a busy area. 
Um, we had a small team of about, there's about eight of us, eight, nine of us, including three models. Uh, and we were working with two lights continuously, plus a couple of flash guns. I often mixed the flash, flash you know, as in speed lights, flash yeah. guns with, with 600 watt location lights. Honestly, I can't tell you how easy it was. I mean, it's like so easy just to kind of move things around. And the fact you can control everything from your camera, just those little elements that used to be so different and so complicated. You set a light up in the far end of the room, high up in the air, then you want to change it by a stop. You've got to climb up a ladder, yeah. turn the thing, and then you've got the cable back to you, and then somebody trips over the cable. And the, it's like, oh, God. God, I remember, I can remember shooting for Guinness, Guinness World Records in, in New York, shooting the tallest man in the world. The tallest man in the world came along. It doesn't happen very often. They found him in a little island in Turkey and this man came, and they rang me up and said, look, we've got the tallest man up. What do you want to do with him, Richard? Which, what a great thing for someone to ask you. <laughs> great. <laughs> and uh, I was shooting something else in New York and I said, I'm going to New York at that time. Why don't you, if you're going to, if you don't mind, fly him to New York. I know a spot uh, by the Flatiron Building, where you can see up, right the way up the street, and you can see uh, the Empire State yeah. Building in the background. Now we know it's not the tallest building in the world, but it's yeah. here's that iconically yeah. super tall building. So we can stand him in this place and make him stand in perspective taller than the Empire State Building, which would be a nice kind of a nice story. So that's what we did. So we we did the set that all up. It's fantastic. We got a cabbie to turn up there to be you know looking as if he was crashing his car because this guy was too too massive and whatever. Uh, yeah, and the NYPD, again, all done on the spot, NYPD closed off the whole of that area for us. We had like about 30 policemen. Huge crowd of people. And it's, I don't do this very often. I would sack an assistant for it. I tripped over my own lights. Because <laughs> <laughs> of cables. Smash. Boom. Broke into a million pieces. A link uh, Not their fault, my fault. And I'll tell you now, they fixed it for me in New York on the, the following day. That, if I would hide it from here, they fixed it. So good on them. I'm not knocking them. But uh, I don't like cables. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, nor me. So yeah, so, uh, um, yeah the, the, the new lights are amazing. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a different world. Yeah. Uh, right, last few questions for you, Mr. Bradbury. Uh, in terms of people new to industry, what would be your number one top tip? For what? Sorry, I missed what you said. Photographers coming into the industry now. Oh, God. It's uh, a very different industry that you joined today than you joined 30 years ago. Yeah, it is, years. yeah. Um, I think you have to be realistic about uh, your business ideas. You have to be determined. Um, I'm saying all this bland stuff now, aren't I? But I guess the, the big factor that I think is different now to when, to when I were a lad, so to speak, is that the world moves and changes a lot more, a lot more quickly. Mm, that's correct. A lot quicker. A lot more, a lot more quickly, quickly. quickly. Thank you. A lot more quickly. <laughs> a lot more quickly. Well, you should be a writer. Uh, a lot more quickly uh, uh, than it used to. And what I mean by that is that I remember when I came into the business, I had my eyes set on my markers were certain photographers that I admired hugely. And I thought, I want to be that person. And I knew I had enough time. What I mean by that is that I had time in my life to become that person. Or at least I thought I did. And you think, you know, in 20 years' time, I'm not, you can't imagine 20 years' time, but you know, in 20 years' time, you're going to be at that level. And the point is, by the time I got to 20 years' time, that, that level had changed completely, mm. and it didn't exist anymore, because technology moves on so quickly now. It's so, it's so changing that the, the photographers of today will be almost irrelevant in terms of how they function 
in, in later years. So I think you need to be very certain about your own ability. You need to uh, set your sights on what you want to do and feel very much that, that you're doing it for you and you're doing it the way you want to do it. Of course, you definitely need to um, get mentoring and, and look around you and see the, the work of other photographers. It's really, really important. But you need to have you know, a self-assured feel to what you're doing and understand that that's an extremely important part of it. And despite my my absolute dedication to business, I also think, and this is a, a controversial thing to say, I think, in many ways, but do not think you're going to be a millionaire from being a photographer. I think, you know, if you want to be a millionaire, then go into banking. Yeah. You'll have a dull life, but, uh, but, you, but, uh, but you might get an Aston Martin. You're not going to get it in photography. And, um, and that's a fact. So the way I've showed up my business, I, I've all, because I, wanted, you know, I had those, those even, both of those things were important to me. You know, I'm, I'm financially driven as well as creatively driven. It's really important to me. But I've, I've made sure that I've got a, a financial base that works in its own right. So I, I bought properties and so on. So I've got a, you know, a pension there that works on that. And that gives me the financial freedom to go and yeah. be the photographer that I want to be and do it the way I want to do it. So that is what I would say. I think you know, that, you know, get the balance right, do it for the right reasons uh, and, and get the balance right between having icons that you're, that you're heading towards, but, yeah. but understand that they're, they're going to they're gonna move by the time you get there and they're going to change. It's too true. <laughs> all yeah. of that is too true. Uh, okay, last couple of bits. As always with all of our interviewees, I ask them to give me the name of a book I can buy for our ever-expanding library back at our studio. Okay, so I noticed that when you said that, you didn't say photographic book. No, nope, I didn't. It's very so I'm actually going to be cheeky and I'm going to give you two. Okay. One that's, of which that's becoming a recurring theme. I know, I, I know, a few I people know. Have done because that. we're so indecisive. There's two. One is a photographic book and the other isn't. And the other is just my sort of stock answer to this thing, which I feel really strongly about. So firstly, uh, the book... The novel that I love more than any other, and if I was on a desert island, I would have to have with me, is Perfume. I don't know if you've read Perfume. I haven't. By Patrick Suskin. It is an extraordinary book. What I think is interesting about it is that I think photographers will love it as well, because photographers are people that are obsessed with their senses. They're obsessed with vision. They're obsessed with the way things look and the way they feel and, and so on. And the beautiful thing about Perfume is, about, is a book about a man that was born in, I think it's 18th century, I'm not very good on my history, 18th century France. Uh, he was born under a fish stall, uh, to a, 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 born by a prostitute uh, into a very smelly, disgusting world, but was born with an incredible sense of smell. Uh, and the whole book is his life, and it's quite dark and very intense uh, I won't tell you what happens but it is very dark very okay. intense uh, and it, the descriptions of scent and smell are just extraordinary um, and it will make you walk around smelling things for the first time as if you've never smelled them before every time you walk into a room you'll go oh my goodness that's coffee and that's that it's that. a brilliant book I, I think smell is incredibly important yeah so at our studio now we always have the same scented candles burning. Good man. So that when people have had a shoot, yeah. that's locked away in their memory. Yeah, and the next time it. they smell that smell, it. it'll bring that memory back. I'm the same, I do the same. <laughs> yeah. Olfactory memory, we, ladies we and are, gentlemen. We are bored of the same memory. Olfactory memory. <laughs> yeah, it's a very powerful thing. As um, the Wolf of Wall Street will attest. Yes, absolutely. Uh, go on, Ed, second so, book. So the photographic book, 
Um, we spoke about music earlier. I didn't, I didn't actually know that about you, that you were a muso, bless you. Definitely. So yeah. maybe you've already got this book, Paul. So I said to you in London that I think you may have this book on that basis. Walk Away, Walk Away Renee by Hypnosis. I don't have it, no. Oh, that's man, good. Man, I'm so pleased I told you then. Walk so, Away, uh, so I'm writing it down. Walk, walk Away, away Renee. Renee by Hypnosis. Now, I love this book because when I first went to art college, which, by the way, only lasted a year and a half because I realised you had to work hard and I'm very bad at that, <laughs> so I bummed out. But uh, I bought this book um, because I was a big music fan, as I think a lot of us were, are, um, uh, and Hypnosis were, uh, became my absolute heroes. Hypnosis were a company based, there are some great times in the 70s, late 70s, when they did uh, Pink Floyd covers yeah. uh, and 10CC and Yes and... Uh, I mean, you name it, they, they've done it. I mean, they, they did everything. Led by a guy uh, beautifully named called Thor, called Storm Thorgerson. Yeah. Don't think he was christened that. <laughs> but uh, that was his name, Storm Thorgerson. And uh, it's the book that they wrote about the, the stories of the album covers. And it just, it, it is, it's like the stories that we've been talking about today. It's like, I, I remember dreaming of having, I guess, having those stories to tell. Uh, and you know now I've been lucky enough to have stories like that to tell, but their stories are even more amazing. You know they're just you know, in the days where where huge amounts of money were being thrown into huge album cover shoots, and they would put pigs over the top of a fantasy pass shoot them down story with rifles, I do know. Uh, and uh, um, hiring parts of deserts with huge, and then throwing huge silver balls into them just kind of for the art. <laughs> just, and the, the, the indulgence of it is just incredible uh, and the work is beautiful and it's still interesting to think that most of those covers that we know, those album covers we know so well were shot in black and white because they wanted to, the, the, the colour reproduction then wasn't, wasn't good enough so they wanted to, to, to add the colour themselves so they retouched every one of them in colour. Wow, I didn't know that. No, it's, I didn't either, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the techniques that we use still today were developed by Hypnosis and their team and, and how they worked. So they're a fantastic design team and I was always, I'm, I still am very much obsessed by design and graphics as well as photography. So. That's the book. That's a fantastic book. And as a muse yourself, you'll love. Oh, well, I'm going to look forward to that. Uh, that will be your favourite of all the books <laughs> you've been given. <laughs> it'll be it'll be in that library. I tell you, my yeah. missus is still like, where are we going to put all these books? Well, I'm going to find somewhere because yeah. I'm, I'm very it's tactile. It's a great yeah, idea. I, yeah. I love. Yes, yeah, a proper library, and it's full of business books, and it's got. It's, that's my first novel, uh, but it's full oh, of business good. books and art books and music books and all sorts. Just things that I suppose. <laughs> What I'm actually doing. It's a nice doing, idea. I love that. It's a really well, good I, I, I framed it in, with the kind of sense that what would other photographers like? But really, what I'm asking is recommend me a good book. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to go a buy great it. One, isn't it. So I'm sitting, I've got these racks of incredible books ranging from the old to the new. Do you have that thing where, because it happened to me again recently, and every time it happens, I think, oh. so you're going on a plane, you're going on a trip. Um, I've just been to Portugal racing motorbikes, and I was like, so I, I, uh, uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to get stocked up on my movies on my laptop. And you go to the video store on your laptop and you can't find anything that you actually no. want to download. And then when you're there, somebody says about 15 different movies. You yeah. think, oh my God, I want that. I want that's that. right. That's, that's, that's the same kind of thing. Yeah. It's like when you go to the bookshop, you can't yeah. find anything. But if somebody has actually said, walk away right now, you'll go, oh yeah, I must have that's that. It. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And I actually have, I've, I haven't ordered all of them. Uh, one in particular was such a collectible. <laughs> it was still 100 <laughs> quid. And it's like, I'm not, oh. this, I can't spend 100 quid every time I record a podcast. But no. the great thing about 
second-hand book market out there now is you can get a lot of these. I bought one the other day. Uh, someone recommended the Strakos. Strakos. I can't pronounce his name. Matthew Strakothic. No. Anyway, cricketer. Yeah, him. Yeah. Uh, and it cost me more to have the for the postage than the book secondhand. <laughs> <laughs> the book I think was 95 pence the postage was 195 love it which love you know it. I get to read a book and I'm very tactile so I still like books and it means that you're also you're, you're, you're giving money to that lovely organisation Amazon because they're not always a, book, a <laughs> books as well is very good so I don't always give money to Amazon right. yeah. although our book is on there so I, I have a very funny relationship with Amazon because yeah. of course your book is on yeah, there too and my book is on there too yeah uh, and what I learned actually was some of the interesting uh, pricing strategies that Amazon used to sell your product to flog your book. Yeah, it's really curious. So you know, one day it was on there for six ninety five. They I could buy it on Amazon for less than I could buy it from our retail. Re- I can't get that. I, I I can't understand how that happens. I must be honest. I, I they, been, cycle, they cycle it. I have. Do you know what I have? This sounds really sort of, but I have genuinely been so busy since the, since my book was published. I've never even looked on Amazon. Yeah. No, um, we, we and, and it isn't because I'm trying not to be. I just, I'd like to. It's really fascinating. It's worth look. watching because you but, get to see the strategy. And I think the last time I looked, it was back up at near full price. <laughs> well, um, really? Yeah. And still, I mean, luckily, you know, it's still in the chart. So I'm, I'm kind of pleased. They're obviously doing what they're doing. Yeah. And they occasionally they pulse it really low to get some out there. And then I, they put I, the price I, back up again. That's I think what I, I really, really enjoy writing for professional photos. Oh. I mean, yes, I saw you on that. Great. It's been, I mean, I love Terry. I love the fact that he's taking it. He's taken the magazine yeah. on himself, and what a man, what a great guy. Um, I love that. I've known Terry for a long, long time. Although I didn't actually, I've never actually kind of met him properly until quite recently. I've known him for years. Yeah. You're down the telephone line and over an email. Uh, but anyway, it's been some time, but I love what, what Professional Photo is doing. I know you yeah, have yeah, a slightly yeah. as well, don't you? Yeah. Like a slight, yeah. Um, but it's a great magazine, and all power to that. I'm, I'm so. I'm still completely in love with, with, with print. I think it's really I'm with, important. Yeah, I'm with you. I love printed material. It's essential okay. that, that, that you know, we, we hang on to that stuff. I think it's really, really important. It is. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, Mr. Bradbury, that is an interview. Thank you very much. It was great fun. Enjoyed it. Well, it wasn't really an interview. It was just a talk. <laughs> it? Just a chat. <laughs> so, like, well, is it, what would be the definition of interview? One-sided chat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is nice, though, isn't it? It's, like, it just, it's just nice to go rabble on about this stuff. Well, it's just, what's really nice is that... Rabble? Rabbit. As rabbit. Well. There's, there's plenty of proper little nuggets of information in there that if you're listening carefully, uh, people can take away and actually implement so I'm really happy about that. Thank you very much for your time. Ah, so a huge, huge thank you to Richard Bradbury for taking the time to sit and talk to me about so many aspects of his business. I hope you've enjoyed that interview. There should be a myriad, a myriad of little nuggets that you can take away and apply uh, to your business. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I really do hope you have quite a lot of work goes into them. It might not always sound that way. Uh, but quite a lot of effort does go into it. Uh, If you have enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe. Wherever it is that you get your podcasts, whether it's Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, it doesn't really matter. Wherever you get your podcasts, please do subscribe. Uh, Also, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review. Head over to iTunes for that. That seems to be the best place. Yes, I know it's problematic and I can never reply (laughs) to any of the... the, uh, reviews because iTunes simply doesn't have that facility Uh, but we do read each and every one of them and they do mean uh, a huge amount to me 
Um, also, why not head across, if you're into your portrait photography in particular, head across to masteringportraitphotography.com, the erstwhile home uh, of this podcast, where you will find just a huge resource of videos and articles that we've created alongside technical diagrams uh, for different images and different ideas. Uh, we'd love you to get on there and get involved, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and just one final footnote, and this goes to Angela Redmond in Portland, Oregon, who stuffed a comment onto the Podbean feed, I suspect it was uh, yesterday, and just says she likes the sound of my voice. Uh, it's a very funny thing, in that the one thing I would have said about me is I really didn't like the sound of my voice, and to have at least one person out there that says they do like the sound of my voice actually means quite a lot. So to Angela, thank you very much for making my Sunday one on that and on that. I've broken. It's broken me. Uh, saying all of that just broke me. I've clearly come to the end of what I'm capable of saying. So until next time, I'm going to get a bottle of wine, sit with my feet up and remember, be kind to yourself. Take care.